today on Ag News Daily. You know, when it comes down to it, we've been talking about it a little bit here. The one thing that we know for sure is that demand is not what we would like to see to meet USDA expectations. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Madison Honkamp and Mike Pearson. And I am joining you from Washington, D.C. Mike, you're in Chicago. And Madison, you are uh, getting ready for a RAGBRAI. Is that right? Yes. So I'm at the Madison County Fairgrounds again, once again, right after fair last week. Um, but RAGBRAI is coming through winter set um, this year. And I think they were here last in like 1991, maybe. Um, So they're back and we have just a whole bunch of different things going on. We've got the campground open. We have like I'm working in the beer garden, but and there's even karaoke going on. So (laughs) now, Madison, how are you working in the beer garden? I don't think you're quite 21, are you? (laughs) Well, I can Actually, if you're over 18, you can sell alcohol. So, Oh, good. But only yeah. sell it, of course. You would never yes. touch the stuff. It is the, uh, oh, the devil's juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think um, maybe we should share with our listeners outside of Iowa, Ragbri is basically this week-long mm-hmm. bicycle trip across the state of Iowa. They, touch, they start in the western half and they finish on the eastern half of the eastern border so yeah they dip their back tire in the missouri river and Mm -hmm. their front tire in the mississippi river since we're yeah it's like i don't even know how many miles it is like 300 and some 400 and some something like that yeah Yeah, it's a long ways all the way across iowa you can make the trip in a car in uh an afternoon yeah but not on a bike Well, there are a lot of people here. They just have, like, their support system um, driving, like, their truck and camper. And so mm. that's mostly the people that are here right now. The bikers haven't really gotten in. But there is just people every all over Winterset right now. There's a lot of people on the square. The entire square is blocked off. And Summit Avenue that the fairgrounds is on is, is actually also blocked off. So hmm. That's neat. That'll yeah. be fun for you. Mm-hmm. It's been and fun, so. Fantastic. Yeah, that's very cool. It'll be great to be there. A lot of great fundraisers for local groups. But Delaney, mm-hmm. what are you doing in D.C.? Yeah, so this morning I had an interview with Secretary Purdue that'll air on uh, Market to Market later this week. We talked about a lot of different things, kind of a whirlwind interview. We talked about trade with China, Japan, the European Union. We talked about MFP payments and he didn't give a very specified timeline. I tried to push him to say, you know, when is this coming out? Producers are curious. But uh, he did say one thing that I thought was pretty interesting that stuck with me. And he said that as far as the EU-US trade agreement goes, we're at a stalemate right now. Yes. Yes, that is certainly how it has appeared from the outside. It's kind of disappointing to hear that coming from the inside yeah. as well. Yeah, that's what it sounds like for sure. But... On Friday, the USDA did roll out one of the pieces of that $16 billion that gets allocated towards trade assistance for this year, and that is for the ATP, or the Agricultural Trade Promotion Program. That is essentially sent or awarded to groups that are looking to diversify or expand market access for agricultural goods. And the USDA awarded $100 million 
in that funding. And two of the largest groups that will receive that funding is the American Soybean Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. But overall, there are 48 organizations receiving that funding this year. Well, good. Well, hopefully they can put those dollars to good use and generate some returns for the uh, the American agricultural producer. Yes, absolutely. Well, very cool. And actually, Delaney, I want to pick up on that right where you kind of left it off. As we look at exports, we got some news yesterday from uh, China's Xinhua uh, news agency saying that uh, Beijing is looking for ways to add purchases of U.S. ag products. They didn't really go into specifics as to what they are looking at. We could assume there would probably be some pork, probably some soybeans, perhaps some corn. But, uh, you know, maybe a piece of good news there that we're going to start to see more crops actually shipping out and headed to China. Yeah, it really seems like from what I've read, they're just having a hard time. The U.S. and Japan are having or excuse me, the U.S. and China are having a hard time deciding really where to pick off, pick up on these trade talks after we saw them really fizzle out in May. Um, But. Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin are considering another trip to Beijing by the end of this month to resume those trade talks. Well, we wish them good luck and Godspeed, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yes, absolutely. They've got their work cut out for them, I think. That they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else do you have for us, Madison? Definitely. Um, well, today is actually the kind of moving day for ERS and NIFA. Um, Moving to the Kansas City area, obviously there's been lots of controversy with this, but the first group of employees to move out, um, the relocation has kind of started today, and there are actually six new hires that are set to report to work, as well as all the relocating employees can start reporting any time from now on. Um, And this group, they have said, is really kind of the test group to see if this plan really works out, um, because a lot of people have really criticized Secretary Purdue for moving um, the for having these employees move. Wow. Okay. so, yeah, a lot of criticism there. uh, That's Mm -hmm. for sure. But so. Madison, you know, we were talking last week. We didn't know where they were going to actually go mm-hmm. for their offices. Uh, if they're moving people out there, they must have must have a place picked out, it sounds like. Yeah, it doesn't really say. But with my, like, okay, so with my mom, for instance, she works for USDA, Rural Development, and technically her office is in D.C., but she obviously, we live in Winterset, Iowa. Um, she works from home. So her office is her computer. Um, She does go into the federal building in downtown Des Moines every so often, but it's not really necessary for her to. So my assumption, they haven't really said in this article or anything, but my assumption is it will be more telework, um, remote working from through like Skype and everything on their computers. But, you know, every state does have that... um, their federal building. So with the USDA depart or floor kind of, so I would assume that would be another like option for them. I bet you're right. They're probably this first wave is those who, you know, wouldn't mm-hmm. lose anything by and, telecommuting. And 
Yeah. And that's probably the other thing why they're having kind of this first wave go to see, you know, what works best. Like, do we want them in an office? Do we want them working at home from the computers? What do we want? And, you know, is this going to work? Which I think it's a great opportunity because it does cut a lot of costs. And, you know, it's they're around the people that they're meant to serve. So. Right. Yeah. You know, that that has been the counter argument this whole time. And, uh, you know, time will tell. Mm-hmm. Time will tell. Because yes, you can't have definitely. a big shift. You can't uh, what, make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Right. Nice. <laughs> exactly. well, I mean, isn't that the same? I don't know. I've never heard that one. You've never heard that saying? Mm, yeah. You know, I found I'm not really good with sayings. I don't use them a lot. I don't know them a lot. You got to get out more, Delaney. Yeah, I'm I, know. Really I know. You got to get you, you know, out <laughs> the countryside talking to folks. <laughs> well, I tell you what, actually, I've got some news here coming out of the European countryside. France is in the grips of a terrible drought. And uh, they're currently asking the EU Commission to bring forward about $1.12 billion worth of subsidies to, uh, to help their farmers. Basically, these subsidies are supposed to go out and get paid to the growers in mid-October. However, uh, the French government is saying, look, we've got farmers who can't afford to buy hay. They can't afford to take their livestock to water. We've got hungry, thirsty livestock. We need that money now. And the EU seems to be fairly open to this. They are willing to make some concessions and uh, and get those get that money moved up a little bit, and hopefully, you know, maybe bail some of these producers out in the short term. Which I think for our European listeners would uh, would probably be some welcome news. Mm, it would be some welcome news, but not some welcoming news coming out of India for today, because they are raising some of their subsidies again. They've already been kind of under fire from the U.S. for breaking their WTO subsidy limits and distorting international ag markets. We've got complaints and lawsuits filed with the WTO against India, but they've said again they're increasing subsidies for some farmers by raising that government set floor prices by as much as 9% according to the Foreign Agricultural Service. This could be subsidies for products like rice, sorghum, corn, soybeans, peanuts, and other crops. And those are lots of the same crops that we uh, try to put into the world market as well. So giving India an unfair advantage on the world market, and that has been why it's caused some grievances and been brought to the WTO's attention. All right. Well, we'll have to see what all is uh... What else going on? How this all shakes out as yes. uh, we go forward? You know, I'm sure it will be a WTO battle. It'll probably rage yeah. on until 2024. Well, right. You know, I was going to say it's a long battles or any indication. Long process, yes. All right. Well, Madison, do you have any other news for us today? Okay, so I just saw this um, article pop up. I really haven't even read through. I literally just saw it. Um, from the Washington Post, and New Zealand's prime minister said on Friday that they are kind of looking to cre- do some trade with the U.S. Um, you know, we've had lots of issues with the Asia-Pacific region. With trade, there's just lots of different disagreements and and talks that are going that have gone on for quite some time. So. New Zealand's prime minister, I am not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. I might butcher it, but bear with me. Um, Jacinda Arden, 
Um, Not sure. I'm going to have to like Google that, how to pronounce it correctly. But he was speaking in Melbourne where she met with her Australian counterpart, Scott Morrison, to discuss different regional cooperation. And really, they're kind of worried about how the U.S. doesn't really have a lot of trade partners within their region of the Pacific Ocean. And so hopefully we'll see a new trade deal coming soon. That would be good news. I wonder what the trade-offs mm-hmm. are going to mm-hmm. be. That's always the million-dollar question. Of course, New Zealand is a prolific exporter of dairy products. And I wonder what they're going to ask for to, uh, to get a trade deal put into place. So we're going to have to keep track of this story. Yes, we definitely will. All right. Well, how about you, Delaney Howell? Do you have any other news we need to get to? I think that I am all out of news for today. Fantastic. I just have one quick story. We've got an agreement between Bungie and BP. They're teaming up for Brazilian sugar and ethanol production. Uh, Bungie has been trying to get out of this space for a little while, but now they're kind of excited about the future. What with Brazil increasing their uh, ethanol percentages in their biofuels. And BP, of course, is looking for ways to clean up their environmental image after the uh, Deepwater Horizon explosion back in 2000. 10, maybe, something like that, several years ago. Eight, I think 2008. 2008, all right. Well, I'm trusting you on this one, Delaney. Mm, Okay. Uh, Hopefully, this is going to work out, and we're going to see the uh, the two companies work together to uh, continue to grow sugarcane ethanol output down in Brazil. Might create some headwinds for American growers, especially as we look to export ethanol. But, uh, you know, we'll just, again, with everything else, have to keep our eyes open. Yes, we sure will. Well, Delaney and Madison, if that does it for the news, Delaney, what do you say? Should we see where the market's wrapped up for the day? Let's do it, Mike. All right, let's do it. And folks, remember, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. The volatility continues in these markets to manage your marketing risk. Do it with professionals. Call our friends at Zaner. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. And tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got red all down the screen in the grains today. Looking at the corn market, September corn was down eight and a half cents at 4.22 and a quarter. December contract dropped nine cents to close the day at 4.26 and a three quarters. Soybeans also saw the sell-off today with the September contract down 13 and a quarter, finished at 8.94 even. November new crop down 13 and a half, finished the day at 9.05 and three quarters. In Chicago, wheat the September contract dropped 15 and a quarter cents, finished the day at 487 and a quarter. December down 14 and a half, finished at 499 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got a little bit of a turnaround to Monday here. In live cattle, the August contract was up 85 cents at 108.45. The October up 65 to finish the day at 109.15. In feeder cattle, the August contract was up $2.20, closed the day at 142.17.50. The September up 262.5 to close at 142.42.50. And in lean hogs, some mixed trade today. The August contract was down 65 cents, wrapped up at 83.22.5. The October up 27.5 to finish at 79.20. And, of course, jumping into the dairy market. For our friends in Class 3 milk, we were mostly flat on the day. July was unchanged at 1741, with the August up to wrapping it up 
1768. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it is hashtag Market Mondays. Let's jump over to our conversation with our good friend, Angie Setzer. Well, for today is Market Monday. We're having on a voice we haven't heard on in quite some time with Angie Setzer at Goddess of Grain on Twitter, who is the Vice President of Grain for Citizens Elevator. Angie, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. How are crops looking up in your neck of the woods there, Angie? <laughs> Can't we talk about something a little bit more fun? Actually, oh, the wheat well. crop looks tremendous. So mm. we're, the yields are down quite a bit, acreage is down, but uh, if you'd have asked me three weeks ago to bet on whether or not we'd be loaded with bomb and, you know, damage and everything after the rainy spring we'd seen, I'd have probably said yes, and so far so good on that side. So I, I won't even complain, and then we did catch a nice rain, so the beans that were planted at a, a reasonable time are, are looking really good. Even the late planted ones aren't looking too awful, and, you know, the corn really needed a drink. So for what's in the ground, I won't complain up this way. Well, now, Angie, when you think about not complaining, it certainly appears as though the market <laughs> has watched this weather develop over the weekend, and it's not complaining either. The The idea certainly looks to be that, hey, this crop might just be made. What do you make of today's sell-off in the grains? Well, yeah, I think that that is kind of the common idea at this point in time, which, let's be honest, in a normal year, that would be the case, right? Uh, you look at the Iowa corn crop, and, and you could venture that the Iowa corn crop you know, it is relatively close to being made. We were looking at up to half or more of the corn crop pollinating last week, got a couple inches of rain that was, you know, somewhat unexpected starting the week out. And so for a lot of folks, they're looking at that thinking, well, yeah, the crop is made. And, and it would be the case if we were looking at a year ago or any other time here over the last five years, if, you know, you get to the end of July and, and had a nice rain and are looking at a cooler forecast, then it'd be a, a good thought. But I think we're not really recognizing just how spread out this crop is when it comes to, to maturity and, and how long it'll be before we're really out of the woods when it comes to having a solid idea on, on overall production. Angie, it seem I mean, it's no doubt that we've been trading in a range here for a little while now, but Friday we had strong closes, I think up like 22 cents or something like that in the soybean market today where we basically mm -hmm. gave that all back. It seems like we have a good day, we have a bad day, and we've just been teetering around these numbers. Is that what you can expect to see until we see another USDA report that clarifies really the acreage and yield that we're going to be expecting for the crop this year? Yeah, I think that's a, a good part of it. I mean, today, Friday, we traded higher on the idea that we were going to see tariffs lifted, uh, you know, by China when it comes to agricultural imports and heard the story that uh, a certain big private entity was making big sales to China as well. Um, conversation was that freighted increase there on Thursday to, to confirm that this was happening here. And so everyone was expecting this morning at 9 a.m. Eastern to, to pull up the old uh, Twitter bot or whatever they use for information and see a nice big export sales announcement to China and it, it didn't show up. Um, so I think that was part of the sell-off. We did see the market hold, even in the face of what you would call a better weather forecast, the 8 to 10 and uh, 6 to 10 day forecast and the 8 to 14 day forecast released last night, calling for above normal precipitation and above normal temperatures, which is kind of, you know, what the crop needs. And even in the face of that, the soybean market wasn't as weak as maybe corn or wheat were you know, until we didn't get that sales announcement, and then you started to see some sell-off hits. So I think, you know, when it comes down to it, we've been talking about it a little bit here. The one thing that we know for sure is that demand is not what we would like to see to meet USDA expectations. 
And so, you know, demand kind of sinking is is in the forefront of, of what is taking place. Exports are slow. You know, crush came in lower than anticipated for beans. Ethanol usage is coming in, you know, lower than we, we need it to. And so it's very obvious that we are, are rationing demand and that rationing, which needs to be done with the, the production loss that we're potentially looking at. But the rationing happened a heck of a lot quicker, you know, in a lot of folks' minds right now um, than what we were really anticipating. And so the idea that we could you know, we don't really know where we're at with production. Weather seems benign at this point in time. So everyone seems to be focusing on, you know, the whole idea that we're not really meeting our export expectations and, and other usage sectors were kind of lagging as well. So that's really catch, capturing the attention, I think, right now. And the idea that you know, we, we won't know production loss probably until January at the earliest is what we're really looking at. So kind of gives us a little bit of a struggle here and increases that volatility for sure. So given the fact that we're not going to know production, at least from the USDA's perspective until January, Angie, I mean, can we, is there, of course, there's always a world in which we can do this, but is there a realistic possibility that we can still hit USDA's export targets for the 18-19 uh, marketing season? Most folks will tell you no, and I guess I have to agree with them. Logistically speaking, it's difficult to even try at this point as well. And I think that's playing in, uh, you know, playing a role. If you, you actively cannot move the crop and, and move it easily, obviously your freight has an increased cost. Uh, farmers aren't in a huge hurry to sell either. So, uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't think so. Um, but the, the problem that we always have and what we always run into, right, every year is that the, the marketing year ends September 1. And so you have this year, you know, four or five, six weeks in some areas before new crop supplies will kind of hit the marketplace too. So how much of that carryover to, to new crop actually goes out as old? And so you always argue about this every year. And, and so I, I, I love that I can at least have something consistent in this business. And, and that always is, okay, we're not going to meet export targets. What does that mean? Well, it just means we keep them in the bin longer. And then the big question is, does it, you know, show up in new crop sale increases or does it eat into the new crop expectations when you do see those old crop, new crop rolls? So it's it's one of those things where I think it it, it, it will just continue to work on trying to put our finger on what actually is going on with what the cash market is doing. Angie, I want to go back to something you said there just a little bit ago about you, you think we're not going to see really what the crop is going to be until January-ish. So do you expect to see any sort of a harvest or post-harvest rally? It seems like a lot of folks have been banking on that, especially in the corn market. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're a long way to harvest at this point in time, but it's it's possible. I I guess we'll see what actual production looks like. I mean, and you got to remember, I'm in an area right now, so you've got two very different areas, Iowa versus, you know, Michigan, let's say. Um, you know, we're in an area where we're we're well behind on where we would be from a, a crop maturity standpoint, and uh, we didn't get much planted, you know. So um, the cash market is exceptionally strong, and, and I'm looking at a continuation of that, whereas in the areas that the, the crop does look as though it's pretty close to being made, um, Iowa specifically, you know, the cash market's going to start to divorce itself from the Michigan market. So, you know, at this point in time, from a rally standpoint, you know, futures maybe putting new highs in place before we get to harvest might be difficult. Um, I think we've got to get a feel for, you know, how much is actually going to be. I think we're going to be disappointed expecting lower planted acres, whether we see those or not with the the changes in prevented plant coverage and and some of this late corn going in for silage and things like that. So, 
I mean, we're, I think you could, but it just depends on right now. It's just all hypothetical as to what is actually taking place out there. And I think you've got, you know, several different uh, major production differences going on in, in different areas of each state even. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Angie. You know, looking at the wheat market, you mentioned lower yields, not seeing a lot of disease, but definitely lower yields, lower acreage. Chicago wheat still selling off today like the Dickens. What's going on there? <laughs> I don't know. You you tell me, give me an idea as to why, other than the fact that, you know, you're seeing some corn pressured and everyone feels com- comfortable that we're going to have, you know, more than enough supply availability, honestly, you know, I think there's some harvest pressure um, that's taking place, farmers that are selling across the scale because they're still at a, a reasonably close to $5 sort of number or it's, it's harvest and that's what they're doing. So um, I think that might have something to do with it. And I think it's just wheat. I think if there's no new story in wheat, a lot of times, you know, sell wheat, live in a mansion is the, the Twitter sort of uh, statement that everyone likes to put out. And so I think that's if, if there's nothing really to be trading on wheat, I think the the natural you know, move is, is to sell it. So, you know, at this point in time, I think there's a lot of, uh, going back to the cash market, everything that's taking place in wheat is telling me that there's not an, an overabundance of supply available out there, but at the same time, you know, there's not an overabundance of demand either. So, you know, I think we'll go back and forth. I think we'll, we'll see some upside still, but, uh, I think with corn under pressure and, and no new China news or anything like that, I think that, you know, most commodities in general are probably going to remain under pressure for a, for a bit. What about when you look at the livestock markets, Angie? I feel like a broken record asking this, but do you think it's safe that we've put in a bottom for now, at least in the cattle markets? I think so. In the cattle side of things, you know, I read something interesting a week or so ago that, you know, harvest on the cattle side of things is is still up about 228,000 head versus a year ago. And that cutout has remained about 5% higher. So you know, that kind of stuck with me, not to mention the article last week that kind of circled around and, and got a lot of blowback of people, you know, saying that we need to cut our beef consumption by X amount of percent in order to survive. And the only thing I really took from that article was how much demand's expected to increase over the next 25 to 30 years. So I think, you know, yeah, you're going to see some short-term blips to the downside. You're not always going to be trapped in a bull market, but I think reality is demand is, is continuing to grow and we just got to be able to foster that to to stay competitive. So cash looks to be firming here in the short term. I don't think cattle on feed was necessarily as, as you know, negative. I even read one person say it was a positive number um, with the marketings and, and things like that. So yeah, I think we have. I think we've kind of established where we, we need to be to the downside and we'll probably find ourselves range bound on, on that side of things as well. Now, Angie, that was an expert dodge. You could basically be a politician. You mentioned the cattle markets. You specifically dodged the hog markets. What are your thoughts there? <laughs> well, I think hogs, you know, the the thing with hogs is that any sort of big move higher and any sort of big move lower will be short-lived. I mean, hogs, you can replenish a pipeline and, you know, quicker than, than anything else. So you can destroy a rally really quick with available supply, you know, so... I think hogs are, are going to be even more volatile than anything else. You know, we've got the China issues arising. Um, you know, what, it, what does that look like? Do we see any sort of uh, agreement made there or any sort of removal of agricultural tariffs? Do we see shipments pick up? You know, there's a lot of untold stories when it comes to that side. So there's a lot of things that could really kind of uh, – make the hog market move much higher very quickly, you know, on a, a bullish enthusiasm type move. But 
at the same time, like I said, it doesn't take long to suddenly realize that we've oversupplied a, a market structure, you know, just simply because you can turn around and, and build a herd so quickly in hogs versus cattle or something like that. So, you know, I think for the, the time being, we're, we're going to work to establish, you know, the low side. I think we have established low side at this point. Um, you know, as long as we continue to talk to China and have that idea that we could see some of that, uh, you know, trade war sort of resolution there, I, I think that you'll see hogs try to favor the upside. But at the same time, we always have to be careful not, careful not to, you know, extinguish that sort of rally with a, a big increase in supply. Well, it sounds like then we're starting to beat to the sound of the China trade story drum again, Angie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much fun is that? If you yeah. liked it 16 months ago, do I have a deal for you? Mm. <laughs> well, Angie, thanks so much for breaking down the markets for us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, as always, a huge thanks to Angie Setzer. You can find her there at Goddess of Grain on the Twitter machine. And... Um, Follow her along. You know, Angie's great. She's a great resource and just a fun person to talk to. Right, Delaney? Absolutely. You can also follow along with us on Twitter. We're kind of fun sometimes. You can find us at Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and on Instagram. With that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 